As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman for our third episode of the week. We could probably do a new one every few hours <laughs> at the rate things are moving in college football this week. Um, it is uh, Thursday morning. Um, Notre Dame got a new coach last night. We're waiting word on Oklahoma. And Bruce, I'm just curious. Um, you know, you're you're as knee deep in chasing this stuff as anyone, and you're working a, a sidelines on the Mountain West Championship game this weekend. Have you gotten any sleep this week? Just to, just to tell, take the listeners through what your week look has been like. Uh, so I haven't gotten a ton of sleep. I'm not complaining. Um, I look, I'm not a good sleeper anyway, so that's 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 a secondary problem. But so uh, Sunday happened, right? And uh, like Sundays are always tricky for me, even before the coaching carousel is crazy because I'm coming off getting up at 4 a.m. for big noon. So Sunday happens and the Lincoln Riley stuff is blowing up Sunday morning. And it's kind of like the, uh, I'm at basically my kid's karate class while I'm dealing with this, you know, kind of chasing it. And it eventually happens and I get a text from like, you know, at that point, like because it's an L.A. story as well with him coming out here. So I've got a bunch of local news requests to go on big stations here. So I'm trying to fulfill those and trying to do a couple of different things. And at one point, um, one of my colleagues on the Fox Sports digital side says, hey, can you do like a one minute video? And I said, sure. So I did it on my phone. And I sent it in and I was like relatively pleased with myself because occasionally it will take me like more more than three takes because it's just either I don't have the camera right or something's going on. So I'm like, all right, I send it in. And then it shows up online and I'm like, holy cow, I look exhausted. Like I'm looking at myself and it's like, it's almost like the first time you hear yourself on an answering machine back when there were answering machines. Like you're like, whoa, that's my voice sounds. Whoa, that's how I look right now. And um, so... Yes, I am. Feel like I'm going on fumes. Yesterday, being Wednesday, was that day where you're talking about like you're incorporating. Uh, we're doing the Mountain West title game, so we had an hour and a half worth of zooms with San Diego State staff, 
And on the third one, so I had to go into Fox to do Coward Show. And then I did some Fox affiliate that I think usually Clat does that stuff on Wednesdays. And so I did it. And then we had our Zoom and I went to, on the fifth floor, you remember some of this area up at Fox. And I picked a, picked a, you know, an empty space and I'm there on the Zoom and I'm realizing, man, I got to pick up my kids at school. I'm doing the math at like 120 and this Zoom is running long and like, the third coach for us was Jeff Hicklinski, the offensive coordinator. And I'm like, man, I'm going to have to go off this. And it's like, because I got to leave. So I had to basically I had to get in my car and leave in the middle of it just because, you know, there's just a bunch of stuff. You're trying to be, you're trying to be present. But at the same time, it's just been a, uh, it's been a wild, it's been a wild 10 days, I feel like, especially the last four have been just, you know, I feel like we're getting to the end of the, at the lights at the end of the tunnel. It's not to say that this stuff's going to stop. Because you're going to have like position coaches and smaller jobs, but at least the the big ticket items are going. You know, it's just you know, it's 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 crazy. I feel like time stands still uh, during this, and and I'll give you the perfect example. Three days in the grand scheme of things, not a long time, but it only took Brian Kelly uh, three days to go from coach of Notre Dame, playing Stanford. Um, shot at the college football playoff, still on the line, to being introduced as the new head coach of LSU. Um, so on the, I wanted to just say that you know, on the last podcast we did right after it happened, you know, you were really down on him for for ditching the team on the eve of the playoff. I kind of played devil's advocate and said, well, if he wants this job, maybe he can't wait till next week, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, no, I've changed my mind on that. Um, why? I watched his I watched his press conference. Now I don't think Notre Dame's gonna make the playoff to be clear, but he's the one who keeps saying in these interviews, they're top four team. They should they should be in it. Which, if you truly believe that, how can you just be so blase about but somebody else will somebody else will take care of that. Somebody else will coach them. You know, and when he was doing these interviews, obviously he didn't know it was gonna be Marcus Freeman yet. Um well, Yeah, I mean, he did this. Yeah, go ahead. Think about this for a second, right? And I don't know if this Steve Fisher analogy works. Remember him, the old basketball coach yeah. in Michigan. But like, uh, if you know, clearly there is a lot of support and passion for Marcus Freeman from those players, right? And you have at this point, it seems like all the key pieces of the staff have decided we're not going with Brian Kelly to Baton Rouge. We want to stay here as part of Notre Dame and help Marcus Freeman take it to the next step. I mean, it's not like. Right now, Georgia looks looks pretty dominant, and they look great on defense. But you start looking at the other teams. I mean, if Notre Dame is number, it ends up playing Michigan and Michigan, you know, or Notre Dame ends up playing Oklahoma State or Cincinnati again, it's like I wouldn't. It wouldn't be the. It wouldn't be Villanova Georgetown here, right? So the the storyline of all storylines, and by the way, obviously Notre Dame has folklore unlike anybody quite else in college sports. If somehow they did get in the playoff, and the 35-year-old guy who got promoted up were to get into the into the CFP, could you imagine this if they actually won it then? It would be one of the all-time college football moments. But even, I thought you were just going to say, can you imagine if they got in and actually won a game, which Brian Kelly was never able to do? And I'll tell you what, there was a telling moment. He's starting to give us some tells. I mean, you know, we, we're all shocked by this. He's starting to give some tells about why. Clearly something in his final week, month, I don't know, at Notre Dame, 
soured him in terms of feeling like he could achieve his goals there. Um, you and, and Pete Sampson and Matt Fortuna reported about, you know, he had requested a meeting with the uh, president AD to go over some things. That meeting never happened. It was kind of like he's raising the, the alarm. He's trying to, you know, raise an alarm and say, hey, you know, uh, you can't just take me for granted over here. There's some things we need to get done. And they're saying, yeah, 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 we'll get to it. And he's saying, no, I'm. if that's the case, I'm gone. Um, so there were... But I just feel like, so I watched his press conference. I watched his, he did a sit down with Reese Davis that they showed an excerpt of on Scott Van Pelt's show uh, last night. And like, I don't think he's trying to troll Notre Dame, but everything that comes out of his mouth is like a troll at Notre Dame. He keeps talking about alignment. You know, the reason he wanted to go to LSU is they have great alignment. LSU was in this huge Title IX investigation like six months ago where they had to suspend uh, people within the athletic department. Basically. Not just people. It's basically Scott Woodward's right hand yeah. man, Verge Osbury, who's been there for like forty. Nobody years who knows anything about Jack Swarbrick and and uh, the president, Father Jenkins, and then knows about LSU would say that LSU's like the picture of you know administrative alignment in Notre Dame, some dumpster fire. Um, he he flat out said, "I I want to use the Broadway analogy, right? Like I want to be here because I I want to be on Broadway. I want to be under the bright lights." Uh, <laughs> Touchdown Jesus, Rudy, uh, Net, Net, NBC, National, you know, he's not com- wrong. I mean, the SEC is the place to be in college football, but it's just like, if you were a Notre Dame fan listening to that, it's just like, I, I started to, I, I hate to use this word, but like, I started to think like, I, I you know, he, he's always been good to me. He's a nice guy, but like, is he kind of a sociopath? Like, he just... I think that's a little too strong. It's, yeah, I, mean, I don't literally I'm mean serious. that, but like just the way he's able to so be so emotionless and so kind of robotic about this whole situation. It's just like, you know, Reese Davis is like, hey, a week ago you said you would never leave Notre Dame on your own. Oh, yeah, but, you know, I didn't know this opportunity would come up, you know. So this opportunity came up and, you know, I had to make a decision and here I am. Um, but, you know, Notre Dame could still make the playoff. Oh, they should make the playoff. They're a top four team. I hope they do make the playoff. Then why did you leave them? Yeah, I I think, look, I suspect it has not sat well with him that Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame AD, had a press conference earlier in the day and how th- things are categorized. I think you have two versions of things that are seem to be very different. And I don't know who's right. I mean, maybe they're both right and both wrong to some degrees on this. 12 years is a long time at any program. 12 years is probably like 25 if it's at Notre Dame because of all the things that are involved in there, right? And so um, I feel like I'm flipping it. Now I'm going to be the devil's advocate here. I'm trying to. Um, Look, if you're a Notre Dame fan, he took over from Charlie Weiss. That place had, had been a disaster at the end, and he cleaned it up. He literally cleaned it up, and he figuratively... You know, turned it into a a consistent winner that has been to numerous playoff appearances, and all those things are you know he deserves credit for. Um, I could see where somebody said, you know what, it's just time. It's just unfortunate that like to me the thing that bothered me the most, obviously, is what I talked about the other day, which is the timing of the playoff. And there is, I get it. You're right. I mean, like if Wisconsin was still, if Wisconsin had beaten Minnesota. I know this is weird to bring this up because it's such like 
on, out in the orbit, but it's true. If Wisconsin had beaten Minnesota, Wisconsin's 9-3, and three, and they could somehow beat Michigan to go to 10-3 and three and win the Big Ten, then that is a really good win for Notre Dame. But that's now 8-4 eight and, four, eight and four Wisconsin, 8-4 and four Purdue. That's the best you got. And so their playoff hopes are, are remote, but they're not, they're not toast. And so that's where I, I come down on the Brian Kelly part. But right now, I think what's hard is when these guys, and you could say the same thing about Lincoln Riley, is when they end up taking over a new job, they do a ton of media. And I get why they do a ton of media. Sometimes I think it is really salt in the wound. You know, like, again, and I get why USC especially wants it, because being there, USC used that opportunity um, to really polish off a brand that had been in the dirt. And this was like a, you know, and, and being there, like Carol Foltz sounded, you know, I was impressed with Carol Foltz. I was really impressed with Rick Caruso, who's basically the guy who runs everything um, around here. And I thought they were impressive. And I get why you do the media. But what you're saying, you know, and, I, and this is not a fault that on anybody who's doing these interviews afterwards, but I feel like the more times these guys end up talking, the more salt in the wound, the more kind of kind of bad look it kind of feels like. People pick apart their stories because it's like maybe these stories don't add up. Maybe the timelines are a little off or whatever. I almost think the best thing for them is just go recruit, just go fill your staff, meet the people around there, but you don't, you know, I don't know. I think it's almost like too much PR is not a good thing in that in the, in this time. Just to clarify uh, what I said, I'm not saying the coach of Notre Dame should never take the job at LSU. It's to me is the better job uh, in terms of your ability to win a national championship. Um, and in Brian Kelly's case, you're right. 12 years as the Notre Dame coach is a long time, and I could totally understand somebody wanting a, a fresh start. But if you know you have that itch. Maybe you sh- probably shouldn't say quite so over the top that you're going to re- and, and clear and and on record that you plan to retire at Notre Dame. That there's no way, almost no way, you would, you know, willingly leave Notre Dame. And then in terms of the timing, you couldn't have. I mean, if, if LSU really wants Brian Kelly as its coach, surely it could wait till Sunday, <laughs> just 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 to have a, a more of a clean break of okay, they missed the playoff, so now it's okay to go. Um, cause they are going to miss the playoff. I ran all the scenarios yesterday. You know, the, the thing that, that I don't, you know, I wrote a story for the athletic kind of all, here's all the 14 remaining scenarios and how I think they would play out. And I don't think people realize how differently the committee treats conference championship games. They don't, there's this assumption that, oh, all Notre Dame needs is for these two teams, you know, Oklahoma state and, uh, Michigan or whoever to lose. And then they'll they'll pass them. That's not really how the committee has approached it in the past. If they clearly, you know, Notre Dame has no resume really, uh, and they have no chance to improve that resume. So the idea that they would go from sixth to fourth without playing a game, to me, is very unrealistic. I think if they were going to make it, they needed to already either be fourth, and then just you know you're, you're hoping you don't get passed, or maybe fifth. And if there's enough chaos in front of you, you move up a spot, but. Um, the you know knowing that in the past and and, and this is the the most uh, relevant example to me. You know everybody's assuming Alabama loses to Georgia, they're out. Well, if if everything holds serve, yes, that absolutely. I don't think they're going to stay above Cincinnati or Oklahoma State. But if teams start losing, 
Um, you know, I don't expect in that case Alabama to just plummet because if you look back at 2018 and 2019, Georgia lost to the number one team in the SEC title game and fell one spot. Let me ask you a question here, though. This, there's a unique dynamic to this to me. And maybe this gets factored in. Maybe it doesn't. Um, Georgia would beat Alabama to move Alabama to 11 and 2, a two-loss Alabama. We know what, the, you know, one really good win, not much else, right? You know, really good win against Ole Miss, then the rest is blah. It's still Alabama. Well, yes. What, what's, what, I, I know that that's I mean, kind of look, the, let me give you the, three, like played Arkan, played Auburn. Auburn's bad this year. Needed overtime to beat them. Played old, played LSU at home. Really depleted LSU team. Barely beat them. Played a bad Florida team. Barely beat them. Those are. It's like I get it. They have Ole Miss and Arkansas is a decent win, but not much. You know, like not much. Given it would be a two loss team. My point to this is, if Georgia beats Alabama. You're going to ask Georgia to beat them a second time because they're probably not going to move up from four, right? They're they're you know if they're going to lose, you're going to keep them in the top four. Now all of a sudden Georgia's got to play them twice. To me, that's a different dynamic than what we're talking about before. Well, we've never had the um, we've never had that happen. That you know, Bill Hancock, uh, previous chairman, have all said, "Hey, if that's the way it shakes out, that's the way it shakes out." We don't try to avoid rematches. In reality, would they do that? I I don't I don't know, um, but. If that you know that according to what they've always said on the record, if that's the way it plays out, that's the way it plays out. I don't. I'm not saying that would be fair. Clearly, people wouldn't want to watch it. Remember, we came close to that last year at Clemson and Notre Dame. You know, they could they could have played twice. Um, yeah, I just I, I just think people need to remember that they 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 are. Um, I think they are careful and cautious about punishing a team too much for playing an extra game that that Notre Dame in this case did not you know it's not like um like I would almost think of it as if if and especially when you're playing the number one team in the country the most dominant team so far I don't think they would even necessarily look at that as 11 and 2 versus 11 and 1 they're essentially in that case both 11 and 1 teams because we know the committee doesn't really dock you much if at all for losing to a good team they'll dock you you know, the, the part I can't possibly forecast is if the, if Alabama loses, you know, 42 to 10, then that becomes a little bit harder. But if it's respectable, you know, then I think I think the only way Notre Dame gets in is if everybody loses and there's just, you know, they then they get in by default. But conference title game upsets are actually pretty rare. Maybe we'll have one this week, but we're not going to have three. Probably not. So that was a big tangent, all of which was to say, I don't think Notre Dame's going to make the playoff. I think if they had just waited till Sunday to announce this hire, people would feel less, um, you know, people would still be pissed in Notre, in Notre Dame at Brian Kelly, but it wouldn't be quite so outrageous. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay. Anything else that took that, that caught your eye about the CFP before I ask you about the CFP? Well, do you want to close the loop on Mark? We haven't we, we mentioned Marcus Freeman. We didn't really go into detail. Yeah. Um, I mean, so as yeah, so it's, as, it's uh it's it's quite a quite a, 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 a flipping the script, if you will, from we think they're going to go hire Luke Fickle to no, we're going to promote a guy who everybody loves there. So they're excited about it, but just it's just uh, fascinating to me that he basically lapped his former boss. He was Luke Fickle's DC last year. Now he is the Notre Dame head coach instead of Luke Fickle. Right, and it, it I'm, you know you even use the term "flip the script." I didn't think of it in this context. About eleven months ago, Marcus Freeman was the hot commodity coming out of Cincinnati. He interviewed at LSU. They loved him. They wanted to hire him to be the DC, and his family wanted to be in South Bend. He picked Notre Dame over LSU. That proved to be a brilliant career move. Right. Because after a little bit of a rocky start in the first couple of games, they settled in on defense and actually played really well, especially considering Kyle Hamilton is a, you know arguably the best DB in the country and missed a lot of time with injury. Still played well. And he's recruited really well, and people have really taken to him. You know, anybody who's been around Marcus has been impressed by him um it's kind of surreal for me a little bit because i remember we did something with him at espn magazine along with we used to do this weird draft feature where they would basically take not the not first round guys but just a bunch of almost like a random guys together four or five of them and bring them about around manhattan and it was like a photo shoot and so i think the group that uh that we were with with marcus was ian johnson was there i remember from fiesta Mm -hmm. bowl lore and getting engaged uh, I think Mitch King from Iowa, and maybe Jarrett Dillard, the the receiver from Rice, and Graham Harrell. And so Marcus was like just way wise beyond his years at that point. Um, and so it's very cool to see his rise. But like, man, it's one thing to be to get a really good uh, Power Five head coaching job at thirty five. Man, Notre Dame is such a vast job because of all the responsibilities and attention on it. Um, you know, so it's like, honestly, the first re- words of it were by a former uh, Notre Dame walk-on who had put it out there. I don't know. It was like out there for about a half hour. And I was like, whoa, couldn't, you know, kind of didn't line up because everything you heard was Notre Dame was going to was gonna go slower on this, right? Now, we didn't know if they'd go so slower they'd wait for his old boss, Luke Fickle, to make a decision on what he wanted to do because that could be waiting out the playoff. But you had... Matt Campbell out there, certainly, and it was like, okay. And then more checking, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, they are going to do this, and, and yeah. Marcus Freeman's going to be the guy. And then all of a sudden you'd see one after another key Notre Dame assistants were saying, hey, we're not going to follow Brian Kelly. We want to stay here. 
And Notre Dame fan base seems to be very energized, and the fan and the players seem to be very energized. So, um, your thoughts on Marcus Freeman getting this job? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, um, I, I've, I've never, I don't think I've actually met him, but I've heard nothing but good things about him. And certainly, I, I mean, if Fickle had gotten this job or any other job, that was who Cincinnati fans wanted to come back and be the head coach. So. Like, a lot of people have a lot of confidence in him. The only thing I can't really tell is if Jack Swarbrick hired Marcus Freeman because he thinks he's the best guy for the job or because he's he's the best way to calm the waters. Because like you said, contrast it with what's going on at Oklahoma, where Lincoln Riley took half the staff with him, recruits are decommitting, like the program is in turmoil. Notre Dame stabilized itself in like 48 hours, where Tommy Reese stayed, um, uh, several others at the strength, well, the strength coach, coach yeah, who's a big you know, piece like, of it. Nobody uh, got on, as I said last night on Twitter, you know, metaf- uh, uh, figuratively, nobody got on that plane with Brian Kelly. And so there's also that, right? There's a bit of a, hey, we stuck it to him. He, he wanted Freeman and Reese there, and they're staying with us. Um, so it's kind of like this is this is this stabilizes you, this excites the fans. But yeah, you better be really confident that this guy who is going to be in his first head coaching job is, you know, as qualified or more qualified than a Luke Fickle or a Matt Campbell. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. I want to see how it plays out. Um, the weird thing about this whole situation to me is, is not, and I asked a Notre Dame fan about this. I don't quite understand the infatuation with Tommy Reese. Um, I know he played there, but it's not like when you think Notre Dame, you think prolific offenses. You know, Ian Book was a good college quarterback, not a great college quarterback. They're they're eleven and one, not because of Jack Cohen's outstanding quarterback play, but man, they were so. Notre Dame tweeted out a video of him telling the team he's staying. Like everybody's so fired up, we kept Tommy Reese. I'm a little puzzled about that part of it, but I get the Marcus Freeman part. Yeah, look, I mean, I think they had a lot of issues on the offensive line, you know, injury-wise. Maybe we're in in between. So I don't think that was, you know, I, I think that there's people who are who like everything they know about Tommy Reese, right? And so he seems to be somebody that the people who know him and have been around there really respect what he's been able to do. And I think that the, the challenge is going to be a little bit that, when you have a very young head coach and you also have a young coordinator now, offensive coordinator, um, we think Mike Elston, who's in his, I guess, late 40s, he was with Brian Kelly for about 20 years, would take over the defense. That's the, the assumption. Lance Taylor's still a relatively young run game coordinator. He is also staying. So, you know, if, if Brian, Brian Polian stays, now he has been a head coach before and he's been their special teams coordinator. It'll be interesting to see how they fill out the staff. And if that all happens, like the way you're describing, I mean, that is Notre Dame, that is Jack Swarbrick saying, we got a pretty good thing going and we don't want to shake it up. And which is, which I would agree with. I mean, this has been an absolutely tremendous, you know, four or five year uh, period for Notre Dame football. But the head coach was like, eh, I don't see this getting much better than it already is. Um, by the way, Brian Kelly 
just because he struck out on those guys, like he'll be fine. He, it's LSU. He can throw around money. You know, he should throw. You know, maybe he should throw around some money for. I don't. I don't. I mean, I think Brian Kelly could handle this too. Go go call Gary Patterson. See if he wants to be your defense coordinator. Yeah, I mean, That's a good call. Like Gary Patterson might be. God, I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. But like, um, might be like tough for some head coaches to manage just because he's Gary Patterson has a friggin' statue of himself, um, you know, outside of a stadium. But like, he is a great defensive mind. And I think, again, I don't know that there's anything, you know, I'm not saying I've heard this, but I was like, you know, Brian Kelly could probably at 60 um, would probably be, you know, able that that would probably be a de- I think a decent relationship for all I know. It might be as toxic as heck, but um like, there are some guys out there, because if you look at some, how this landscape's tilting, obviously he's going to need a defensive coordinator, and that would be, that might be an interesting move. And I would think he's going to go hard on guys who have SEC recruiting experience. Right. right? I, this I, is... I, think he will tr- I think he will try to keep the offensive line coach, who's still relatively new, Brad Davis, who is from... Baton Rouge. I think he would be. It would, he's going to keep Corey Raymond, who's the who's the corners coach, and has done a really good job there. I would think he will keep Mickey Joseph, who's the receivers coach, and is a is a deep Louisiana guy with a lot of ties, and he has cranked out really talented receivers over the last few years. So, but we'll see what the rest of the what the rest of the staff is going to look like there. Um. I think he'll. I think he'll be able to put together a pretty good staff. Uh, Oklahoma, as we're recording this, um, has not hired a head coach, and people are getting kind of restless there because, I mean, fr- frankly, this is not coaching searches used to take weeks, so it's not like this is going slow by any means. But you know, people they want the stability, like Notre Dame just had. They want answers. Um, the name that seems to be perking up, percolating the most right now is Brent Venables, the Clemson defensive coordinator who was at Oklahoma with Bob Stoops for a long time. And, you know, the interesting twist there would be it's not like he left on great terms. He left because Bob brought Mike Stoops back, his brother, to be the defensive coordinator or the main defensive coordinator. Um, so I guess the question is, has time healed those wounds? That'll be a good question. I, I do think he's a real candidate there. He's done really well at Clemson. You know that Joe Castiglione is not shy about hiring a first-time head coach because he did it with Bob, and that worked out great. And then he did it with Lincoln, and that worked out great. So he also has a reputation of being a, you know, a tremendous recruiter. So there's a lot to like there. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. This is a name I haven't heard much, but I would not be surprised if they looked at Mike Elko. He's a really good defense coordinator. He's been up for head coaching jobs. He's at Texas A&M now. Obviously knows the SEC. That transition probably would be wouldn't be hard for him. Um, I've heard that Shane Beamer is somebody they would they would they are they would are considering um, over at South Carolina. Remember he was there. In that Norman. one surprised me when I heard about that. It would or would not. That would surprise me. Okay, he's, he had one six and six season in South Carolina. Now he's ready to be the head coach at Oklahoma. Oh, it's a fair question. I mean, uh, is it? Look, I think the six and six season was better than probably some yeah, people. Yeah, better thought. than people expected. Don't get me wrong. Um, there's a lot to like about him um, as a as a as a candidate. It's just I don't know. Things seem to be. He, he seems to be on some sort of rapid ascent right now. What do you, What do you think of Barry Switzer's dream candidate? 
in Mr. Starkville, Mike Leach. Mr. Mike Leach. Um, I think that that's a hire that you make to to make a splash. I don't know that that's the the best hire for Oklahoma. Um, and look, Mike so far has probably done as well, if not better, than I could have expected him uh, through two seasons at Mississippi State. You know, but they went seven and five. It, if it's you need somebody who you feel very confident can lead you into the SEC and contend for SEC championships. Um, one thing that's a that's an interesting storyline that's starting to develop here is Matt Campbell, whose name has probably been mentioned for this coaching carousel more than any other coach, came real close on USC. They get end up getting Lincoln Riley. He's not going to be the next coach at Notre Dame. So then people immediately turn to Oklahoma as the next possibility. If that doesn't happen, it's becoming more and more likely that he's still the Iowa State coach next year. And I just don't know how that relationship will be when, you know, schools, fan bases start to get a little, um, feel a little bit burned when they know that the coach is trying to get out. Well, I don't know how, how vigorously... Matt Campbell would have gone after Washington, if at all. I, I'm, I don't think he was interested in LSU or Florida, or at least I don't think that was a, you know, something that was discussed. I know he's had opportunities to go NFL in past years. So I think he's going to be, I think like a lot of coaches, even probably like to some degree like Luke Fickle, I think he's going to be picky on where he wants to go. But I would have thought if it, if USC was coming, I think that would have been a tough decision for him to make, right? I think if you if Notre Dame were to ask them, I think that would have been a tough decision. Given the jobs that are left out there, and Oklahoma's an interesting one just in the fact that— Of course, that we don't know what other dominoes might end up opening. We don't. Opening. Um, but he is—you know, he's a three-time Big 12 Coach of the Year. He has beaten Oklahoma more than once. You know, he knows that league. Now, obviously, they're not going to be in that league too much longer. But still, um, I would think if you're Joe Castiglione, I don't know how you don't really strongly consider him. Right. Man, imagine if I told you back when USC and LSU fired their coaches that, and, and this again, we're not there yet, but if it does turn this way, turn out this way, if I told you that Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly would change jobs, but Matt Campbell will still be at Iowa State next year and Luke Fickle will still be at Cincinnati next year. I'd have been very surprised. Yeah. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. 
LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. You said there was some other uh, playoff question you wanted to ask? Yeah, so it is related to the CFP expansion. There have been meetings this week in Dallas. I think, and you can correct me if I am wrong on this, I think there was a heavy expectation that we are almost certainly going to get playoff expansion into 12 teams out of this. Was was everybody wrong to to believe that, or you tell me? I think everybody was right to believe that until Oklahoma and Texas left for the SEC. And then I don't think we anticipated just how much, the, the, um, how much that would end up impacting these discussions. But I got to tell you, it's getting ridiculous. I mean, I had been told a couple weeks ago that that, meet, that December 1st meeting that just came and went, that they felt like they had to make a decision. Because if they don't, they're running out of time to... Um, you know, because you have to renegotiate bowl deals, you have to negotiate a new TV contract, that they're running out of time to implement something before the current contract is out. December 1st comes and goes, they decided nothing. They are still at a stalemate, and the stalemate seems to be, everybody agrees they should expand it, but there are now conferences that are are, um, not relenting on wanting eight teams instead of 12, and there are conferences that, and when I say conferences, I'm referring primarily to the Alliance conferences that want it written. You remember the original proposal was six, the six highest ranked conference champs, whatever conferences those may come from. Probably in practice, it's still going to be the Power Five and one group of five, but you never know. Possibility of two group of five. Well, the Alliance conferences want it written in in the document, in the in the Constitution, if you will that they themselves get automatic access. Um, And obviously the group of five doesn't like that. So we're at a stalemate. And Ross Dellinger put up what I thought was a very telling and creative uh, flow chart. Uh, (laughs) Did you see this? I didn't. I'm going to have to Twitter search it now. Yeah, he tweeted this really, uh, I'd say amusing, but also kind of, you know, mind-numbing flow chart of basically... Um, let me pull it up here. I see it. Yeah, so it's just, it makes it really crystal clear, right? How many teams are involved? Eight or 12? Okay, and then under eight, how many AQs? If it's six, no, the SEC, among others, won't vote for it. If it's less than six, then the group of five won't vote for it. So eight seems dead in the water. But let's go over to 12. Who gets AQs? Power five champs and the highest ranked group of five champs? 
No, AAC and others won't vote for it. Okay, six highest-ranked champs. No, at least the ACC and Big Ten won't vote for it. So we're at a stalemate. And if that stalemate continues much longer, there just nothing's going to happen. We're just going to have the current system until 2026. And Greg Sankey would tell you that's fine. We're fine with the system we have now. But... Um, that I mean, at the end of the day, I know people resent the SEC and they don't think the SEC should get to call the shots and the alliance is standing up for themselves. But the alliance is acting against their own best interests. They need an expanded playoff. The Pac-12 just missed it for the fifth year in a row. The ACC is finding out what happens when Clemson has a down year. It They're, they're going against their own best interests to stick it to the SEC? Come on. I'm still like kind of awed by... Ross Dellinger's creativity here. I know it's pretty good, right? It is pretty good. Were they were they doing flow charts when you were at SI? I don't think that's an SI thing. I think he did that on his own. I know, but I mean, yeah, he's definitely raised the bar there. Um, um, I just want to—he's raised the bar, and he's to, probably emptied the bar at some point. I just want to give a shout out to our Nicole Auerbach, um, who is our you know CFP meetings guru. I think she's been at the DFW Airport Hotel like four times this fall staking out these meetings only to have them come out hand her a plea you know in typical cfp fashion hand her like a hastily typed out statement on a piece of paper that says nothing happened today <laughs> we're still we're still hashing out the details um i hope she at least got some papacitos on the way uh, before her flight back home yes that would be well that would be worth the trip so yes all right well i realize this week has been absolutely dominated by coaching conversation also we you know, because so much was going on, we couldn't do a mailbag this week. And I am sorry about that, but we will do one next week. Send your questions to audiblepod at gmail.com. Enjoy the games this weekend. Uh, don't forget, amidst all the coaching turnover and whatnot, that we are having conference championship games this week. And I'm, which, yeah, let's pull that one real quick. Other than Georgia, Alabama, which conference championship game are you looking forward to the most? Well, it's an obvious one, Stu. It's San Diego State and Colorado State. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Uh, Me and like 91 other people are going to be in that building. So, Okay. Um, yeah. No, I mean, hey, it's, look, go it's... get to see. If you have not seen Brady Hogan this year, take a look at him. He is. He looks like he's 20 years younger. I noticed that when the last time I watched the San Diego State game, I thought you were going to say, if you haven't seen the punt god yet. I know. Like, this is going to be your first chance to see it up close, I talked right? to him the other day on the phone and because one of his teammates said, you know, he hits them like about 100 yards in practice. And so we, um, so I talked to him the other day, and he's 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 an entertaining kid. He's he's all in on the for the brand McAfee kind of side of being a being an athlete, not just a, a specialist. Because yeah. he'd been a DB in high school and had against Utah, I think he had three tackles in a game, which is just pretty rare that you would have uh, a punter making multiple tackles in a game, much less three. So uh, tune in for him. Tune in to see. I'm not exaggerating, right, to say he is the greatest punter in college football history? I don't know. Like, I mean, Ray Guy is probably before your time. He's definitely before my time in college. Oh, I know. The award's named after him, so clearly he's, when he was with the he's Raiders, a legend. Yeah, when he when Ray Guy was with the Raiders, he was like the Jerry Rice of punters, right? He was so much better than seemingly everybody else. So I would I would say that. And it's not like San Diego State. Now, they're in the Mountain West, but it's not like his games have been at altitude. Um you, oh, no. Are you accusing those stats no, of being I'm inflated not. by no, altitude? No, I am not. I am not. And, uh, I feel like punter is one of those, is, is the rare position where I don't care if you're in the SEC or the Mountain West. If you can kick it 70 yards, you can kick it 70 yards. Sure. I mean, I don't think his range on it is a field goal kicker. I think it might be to like, 
you know, it's not Tucker range. It's like 62, 63. It's not like 68 or whatever. But tune in for him. Tune in to see uh, to see uh, San Diego State's own version of Cliff Kingsbury now that he has uh, found the way to reverse the aging cycle. So. And Utah State almost went winless last year. Gary Anderson walked out on them again halfway through the season, and here they are playing for the Mountain West Championship. Pretty cool. Um, by the way, Ray Guy's season punting averages at uh, Southern Miss, 45.3, 42.9, 46.2, and 44.7. This guy, Matt, hold on. Is it Ariza or Ariza? Ariza. Matt Ariza's averaging 52 yards a punt. So. Well, Ray Guy back then, the football was probably like a pumpkin, so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> All right, other than SEC and Mountain West, which one are you looking forward to the most? You know, I am very curious to see what happens in the Big 12. You know, like I think Baylor's been a real... Both teams have been good stories. I just, you know, want to see what Dave Aranda's defense can do if they can kind of, you know, get... It's two really good defensive teams going at a conference that you don't expect. You haven't expected defense like this. And then... I want to see how Michigan deals with the prosperity and everybody raving about what they did last week. Is there a hangover after finally beating Ohio State? I mean, actually, I'm more interested in that game, to be honest, to see how Michigan responds than I am in almost anything else. You? You may say that now, once you get into it, and you're through two quarters of a lot of punting and a lot of Iowa three and outs. Oh, please like, don't, please don't, thinking? please don't dump all over the Big Ten again. Just not the Big Ten, Iowa, and and you know, God bless Iowa, ten and two. Congratulations, but I mean, just one of the all time worst offenses of a team that's gotten to this point. Um, I'm gonna say, and and look, I, everything I agree with everything you said, especially about the Big Twelve game. But Kenny Pickett versus Sam Hartman for the ACC championship. What is the over game. here? I was actually surprised it wasn't higher than it was. Um, I would you would, I would go eighty on the over under, but I think it was in the seventies. I'm actually surprised given what Wake does in a lot of these games. Um, you know what I what I'm interested to see most there. Look, you know I think earlier in the season we talked about Narduzzi and what he's done there. Um, these guys really get after the quarterback. They lead the ACC in sacks. I think they will. Are we picking this game? Did you pick this game? I'm sure you have. I did. I picked Pitt okay. um, because of what you said. I mean, Wake, God bless, you know, they have a, an amazing offense. We love that offense. They play no defense. Pitt has a really good offense and a really good defense. Yeah. I don't they, know, really good, pretty good defense. Pretty good defense. Look, and um, look, it's not just Narduzzi. Charlie Parcher, the D-line guy. Like, they always have D-linemen. Yeah, they do. You know, so... Um, yeah, you sold me on that game. I can't wait for the games this weekend. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to miss a bunch of them because I'm, I'm in, I'm at my game. But you know, well, yeah, we'll see how the games play out, and then we'll see what. There's always at least one infuriating controversy with no right answer that we spend late Saturday night, early Sunday debating. So, um, and then I know the part of the weekend you're absolutely looking forward to the most is whatever the playoff committee decides. I'm sure you can't wait for Gary Barta's explanation on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I know. It'll be, I have great respect for, and then he will just take a dump on the, whoever he's yeah. about to say it, talk about. As always, uh, send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. No, really, send them. Promise. We'll answer them next week. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.